Obscurity is dispelled by augmenting the light of discernment, not by attacking the dark. Socrates. Bending, not breaking. Season 5, episode 14. Light in the dark. Welcome back to another episode of Bending Not Breaking. I'm Sunshine. And I'm Ben. And we are at the season finale. That's right. The season finale. The season, this is it. This the is last the one. last one. And honestly, uh, not to go too much into it, much better than I remember it being. Yeah, it's so great. It's uh, very good. But before we get to that, it wouldn't be a season finale no. if we didn't have something special lined up. That's right. And we've got something special lined up. Thank goodness. Ben, we've got a guest with us tonight. We sure do. Who do we have? Yeah, I would love to introduce you all to Morgan Bannon, otherwise known as Airspeed Prime, has a YouTube channel you might be familiar with if you're an Avatar fan, has his own Avatar podcast, uh, and the content varies everything from in-depth avatar analysis all kinds of merch posts uh kind of a lore expert here so i'm gonna pass it along to morgan morgan can you just tell us more what tell us more about you and welcome to bending not breaking uh yeah thanks for having me uh yeah uh i've been doing avatar content for like what i guess it's 10-ish years now even though i've sort of been in the fandom more or less since the since atla first came out so um, yeah, like uh, I try and position sort of my content as like, yeah, if you, if you want the in-depth stuff, uh, I'm the place to go both in terms of like all the news as well as the, you know, discussion of the, the content that comes out, whether it be comics or the, the shows. So I try to just cover everything effectively where like, if you want to stay up to date with Avatar, that's what my channel is for. I love it. I recently was following your Twitter on uh, just thinking about the potential updates um, that we were suspecting might come through and then ended up not getting much of anything. And I, um, I'm just interested to hear your, your take on that. Yeah, um, I suppose, like, yeah, in general, sort of day-to-day -day sort of fandom stuff, we're in a bit of a weird spot at the moment where we know about Avatar Studios, but we don't really know a lot except that it's a thing. Uh, and we've obviously been waiting a year we thought we'd get news at the sort of the same event that announced it last year, but we didn't. And everyone's kind of confused now about where we sort of stand because new story content like comics, novels, it's been slow over the past year. So we're just kind of waiting for the next sort of big announcement. And uh, I just feel like there needs to be a little bit of communication. Don't want them to rush production or anything, but uh, I just like to be kept in the... Uh, in the know about what's going on, what the future looks like. Yeah, that sounds great. I would love to have more information about what's coming. I'm, I'm so eager to hear more, and I think a lot of people are, so I think you're naming something important there. Wow. Okay. Well, uh, when we asked you to step into this episode, uh, we offered you the option to choose a lens for today, 
and you kind of bounced around with a few uh, between you and I, and then we ended up landing on this lens of discernment, and you were you were curious about understanding and discernment, and I'm I'm interested why that was your your choice. Um, the main reason I chose this one is just because um, I suppose the things I really wanted to discuss in this episode mainly relate to sort of how the characters come to make their decisions here at the end of the season, the end of their character arcs. And I suppose for this episode specifically, they actually have mm. scenes that are like major endpoints for the character arcs that are like big character scenes. Just how do they get here in the moment? How do they make their decision? And they're pretty kind of monumental ones. Like I think this is a really strong yeah. character <laughs> development episode. Wow. We have a lot to talk about today. So what is what is discernment? Yeah. What is this this lens that we're looking through? What is let's get a grapple on it. What is discernment? Ben, what you got? Yeah, I, I think for me when I think about discernment, one of the things that comes to mind is just this idea of thinking about the like the what is the quality with which we are able to grasp and comprehend uh something that needs to be understood. So like making a judgment call, for instance, is an act of discernment. How to choose um, and understand what is the right thing to do when it's not clear. That is what I, I think of when I think of discernment. So what I'm hearing in there is not necessarily the judgment itself, but all of the processes that go into making that judgment could potentially fall under that category. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Right? Maybe. Morgan, what do you think? Uh, yeah, yeah, pretty much. Like, yeah, it's like how you come to make that judgment call, what kind of goes into it. Um, and I think the, the characters, like what they go through here, there's definitely some stuff to get into because they, this book actually has really clear character arcs for like, especially like Korra and Tenzin in this one. Fantastic. Well, let's jump into it. What are some massive moments? And wow. there. Uh, Whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, that's right. I think you have to do a 30-second recap. Uh-uh, don't you put that evil on me, Ricky it's Bobby. That is finale. your turn. I think it is, you it is should do this The people want what the people want, and the people want you to be held accountable to I do what your part. They actually want you to do this. Ben, you've got 30 seconds on the clock, and away we I, go. So, General Arrow's like, tell me more information, what's coming? And then Korra's like, I give up. And then Tenzin's like, no, don't give up. And then Kaya's awesome. I love Kaya. But then, you know, Tenzin's like, hey, go to the Tree of Time, meditate, it'll be cool. Goes to the meditation, and then it's fine. They all go to Halfway the Halfway there. Wait, okay, then Unalak is like giant avatar, and then Korra becomes giant, you know, spiritual projection, and then she goes and fights dark avatar, and then Jinora Five saves seconds. the day, and there's Rava, and then the Rava saves the day, and then Korra decides to keep the spiritual. And that's open. it. I did okay. We're not going to talk about the merge at all. Between, no. <laughs> we don't need to talk about her becoming the Avatar again no, or anything. That was a decision-making thing that we should talk about, though. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, wow. Well, so, Morgan, you are welcome to say no. But we like to offer our guests the opportunity to do a 30-second recap as well. Uh, and so I'm just offering this, extending the invitation if you so choose. Uh, yeah, I saw this on the show rundown, and I actually did write a summary like it's not really attempting to be funny more of a actual summary oh i have okay. no idea if it will hit 30 that's... seconds or not but um there were details i felt i couldn't leave out <laughs> all right let's hear it sunshine's gonna start the clock and we'll stop you and then whatever we don't get to we'll be able to make sure we lift up um in our conversation 
All right, Morgan, if you're ready, we'll start in three, two, one, go! Uh, the fire ferrets are healed as Korra reveals to everyone that the Avatar cycle has ended and the past lives are gone. Tenzin steps up to give Korra hope, who blames herself for becoming the last Avatar. He tells her she is powerful herself, and not just because of Rava, and that by meditating in the Tree of Time, she can connect to the cosmic energy of the universe and Halfway have a chance there. to stop Unavatu. She connects to her cosmic self and projects a giant blue version of herself to fight Unavatu. She has advantage until she realizes she can't find Rava inside of Unavatu. Unavatu fights back and is about to destroy Korra's spirit Three. until June. Nora arrives, Two, uh, flooding the one. area in light. And we go. I was halfway through. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot yeah. that happens. Yeah, it's hard to hit fit it all in 30 seconds. And that's like ignoring, uh, like, oh, but we don't have to now at this bit. point. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's we right. totally forgot about that. I didn't yeah. even write Varric in my notes, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> um, I didn't so. really either. Um, but let's talk. So, uh, big moments of discernment. What were moments in this episode that really spoke to you uh, specifically regarding this lens of, of discernment and, and um, what we're going for? I suppose the first one happens relatively early on in the episode, and that's just sort of Tenzin having a bit of a sort of decision to make about how does he even go about helping Korra in the position that she's in now. Yes. She was at her lowest point yes. last book, apparently, based on Hang's uh, wisdom, this feels even lower. Like the Korra places so much of her identity on like her bending, being the avatar that's mm. gone. And she's blaming herself. And part of the arc this season has kind of been, you know, Korra having a different mentor and going away from Tenzin, choosing Unalak and mm -hmm. coming back together. But this is kind of where they bring a full circle and Tenzin, finally i suppose finds the right approach with cora the right way to be a mentor to her now that he sort of finished teaching her airbending can't be the spiritual mentor but he can be just a general mentor like so more life experience to help her and it's, it's kind of very defining of their relationship because it goes forward here where they're more peers in that she's able to help him like next book and so on um just really strong moment yeah. and so much goes into it like all of Tenzin's uh, development and then from like the last episode especially and then this is I suppose what then helps Korra grow with like basically what he says yeah there's so much there and I love how Tenzin shares the learnings that he had in the previous episode right yeah. so he gets this moment where last episode he learns that he can be whole without being his father and the first thing he shares with Korra in this episode in this hard time is that she can be whole without Rava. And yes. gets in, and so I think there's a couple things to unpack in that moment. One, healed people heal people. Mm. I'm, <laughs> hurt, All about it. hurt people hurt people, and healed people can heal people. And this is a moment of that healing where he is sharing this learning. Uh, to lift that up through the lens of discernment, the ability to learn and grow in community and pass those those yes. learnings along allows us to make better judgment choices later on, right? Um, and so sharing learnings, that is exactly what this podcast is based off of, yeah. right? So there's some, there's some real importance to that. Um, and so I just, I love that. I love that in this episode. And I think if we had seen, like, season one Tenzin, or book one, rather, like, what we would have seen is, like, Tenzin, like, goes into blame mode when Korra messes up often, and he knows that that's not the right thing to do in this moment. He's learned. And I loved Kaya in the moment before who, where Cora's like, I'm at my lowest point, like Morgan said. And 
Kaya's like, she needs you more than ever right now. And Tenzin knew what she meant by that. Mm -hmm. It was not to blame her. It was not to teach her. It was to show her what she already knows and what she needs to, like, remember that is within her already. Mm -hmm. And I think he could never have done that without this whole season's learning, right? He could never have been this episode's Tenzin without the prior character building that has happened. And so, I like, Morgan, I appreciate the way that you kind of have lifted up how this Kara arc is character arc has played a major role in this decision-making process Mm, yeah definitely and um i I like to especially like kind of compare like tenzin as Korra's mentor to unalak as Korra's mentor and that in the early episodes of this book he was more sort of basing how he sort of treats her on the fact that she is the avatar like complaining that she's using the avatar state as a booster rocket and stuff like that um whereas like that's that's Unalak. That's how he treats her. It's that they're literally family, but he only cares that she's the Avatar. And here's where they bring her around. And it's Korra realizes Tenzin's the one who actually cares about her as well. There's there's also that sort of understanding on her side that she actually lets the advice that Tenzin gives to her kind of break through in a way as well. Um, because um, I always liked that arc early on that like I... I've always been very understanding of Korra's decision to like go away from Tenzin in that early episode because of her and her yeah, father yeah. Uh, him and Tonrock uh, keeping such a big sort of lie away from her and here's that sort of understanding at the end that like you did it because you cared about me but you should have kept me in on this yeah no I totally agree I, I think that that is a I, people wonder like why teenagers are rebellious and it's because you're you're treating them as though they're less than capable of making decisions. And sometimes that's that's fair. But at the same time, you can never expect them to grow and become unless you allow them to make errors. <laughs> and I think that by not giving Cora the option, what they did was they forced her into this act. And it was probably preventable. So that was probably a lack of discernment from a prior episode, right? From prior history. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, the other thing about the scene that I like is also that um, Tenzin sort of utilizes the fact that he's not spiritual himself, but he sort of knows a lot about spiritual stuff to kind of make up for that. So he helps her not just by giving her like good personal advice, but also like, and I also know how you might be able to win this fight. Like he actually convinces her as well that the tree of time, that thing you think is just a prison, actually is so much more. And I know about it because I researched it. Yeah. And he then brings up the, the whole kind of comparison to Juan that she's seen this story. She thinks he's like the biggest hero ever because he created the Avatar. And I, I really like the quote here of like, he became a legend because of who he was, not what he was. He wasn't defined by Rava any more than you are. Mm. That's that's the arc. That's what they're going for here. Of Like, Cora, you're important mm. even without Rava. And you can do a lot just on your own, like he did to eventually like, earn being the avatar chills yeah that's so important for sure and if we stay with Tenzin for a little bit longer too and skip to the end of the episode where Korra is deciding to she's like going to close the portal she's like nah well what do I do maybe I should what do you think (laughs) because she has gone to her teachers at every moment until this point and I think that when Tenzin 
allows her to make the decision on her own, it is in a way fixing that error of not allowing her to make that decision earlier, Mm -hmm. right? And it's saying, hey, I trust you. You will make the best decision. And no matter what you choose, I will support you. That is what people want to hear. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's what I want to hear when I'm making a tough choice, right? Mm. How beautiful is that moment on Tenzin's part? Mm. It's incredible. We praise Tenzin a lot. He earns it. Yeah, <laughs> like he's, in this episode, this for episode sure. specifically. <laughs> um, I wanted to talk about Korra in the tree because I wonder Ooh, if we yeah, get yeah. a moment of here of, is there when it comes to discernment and our ability to make the best decisions, that need for self-processing, self-awareness, we've talked about it on the show before, but her going through her memories and taking time to sit there and think and process before going in, having to battle Unalak, do we see a connection of that self-awareness, that self-processing in the way that it affects our decision-making going forward and our ability to make the best decisions? Yes. Yep. (laughs) <laughs> like, 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 like are you looking for, like duh like I, I think that but that's what i see in that moment yeah yeah i think that you i mean you're definitely naming something that's really important there i think that thinking before we speak is just as important as thinking before we act is just as important as thinking before we do anything <laughs> right yeah. reflection reflecting on our past and like I, I think that's what i love about it too is it's reflecting on the things that has already happened. You've already learned this lesson. Now you just need to discern the right thing to do with the information that you have. Mm -hmm. Right? Yep. And it's also where she first, I suppose, sees the the danger that the world actually faces. She's actually seeing Unavatu in this, like destroying the place. And that, you know, in a way, as the Avatar, she can be the hero. But does she actually decide to go out and fight him, even though she's not the Avatar? And she ultimately decides that, yes, that's who Korra is as well. And I I really like that as well. That's just like the kind of final little moment before she starts yeah. to meditate. Mm. Oh, well, I just got chills. Because I did it, too. it shows you that like av- the Avatar, it's not necessarily Rava that is creating morality or creating these decisions. Like there are, it is internal inside of each individual mm. and it is not necessarily this outside spirit that has to guide you to do yeah. those things. Here, here. Um, and I think that that's a really important aspect of this. I think it's massive. Like, I, like, let's let's talk for just a second and like really dive into Korra at this beginning scene too. So the fact that Korra has just lost connection to all the avatars, mm-hmm. she is thinks that the world is ending. Bolin is, you know, going off saying, "I can't survive for the next ten thousand years. I'm too young to to go into ten thousand years of darkness." And and then Korra is just in this moment, and she is just like somber and she is a on the edge of not having any hope but the fact that she has any hope at all to come out of this is a testament to the strength of her like her character it's unreal how she is able in this moment when all truly seems lost and the character or the fandom is now flipped to total shit because like what they'll like the, <laughs> and, and so everything is seems lost and this is a huge hit and she still has hope, right? She still thinks that she can do something even when she's not connected to Rava, mm. right? She is a merely a human Right? She no longer has the spirit of Rava. By all rights and consequences, she has no longer the avatar in this moment. And it is a regular bender 
that goes against Unavatu, mm-hmm. not the Avatar, right? Well, and let's talk about the way support systems, familial systems play into that. Because if if any one of them had been like, yeah, you you probably shouldn't go fight him without the Avatar, right? what a different place we would have been in. Mm. But the fact that Korra has support systems that are like, you are enough without those things, m- massive difference in the in the outcome because of the people around us and Chills i think that again. points to <sighs> we are not alone we cannot go at this alone um and we have to treat things with community mm. what else what are other moments of discernment that are that we need to uplift um i suppose uh, we, we sort of discussed the tenzin part of the sort of cora cora spirit portal decision but the cora that actually just making that decision at the end after the after the fight is arguably sort of the reason i went with more of like that idea of like discerning um making a big choice because this is mm. this is the the key choice that they they allow this massive ca- character moment for Korra where she like physically wins the fight like defeats unavatu that's that's great that very Korra that she wins the fight but then the almost slightly unexpected thing the growth from Korra, the maturity is that like as, as you said as you mentioned earlier on like Tenzin is just like oh, let's just wrap this up go home close the portals and she's about to reach out and do it and then she's like no wait I actually listened to what Unalak said he went way too far which is why what happened happened but I actually took on board some of what he was saying because I saw the origin of the Avatar yeah. Wan's approach to dealing with the spirits I've seen how things are now I do get what you were saying mm maybe it is time for something new and she makes one of her first i suppose major huge decisions as the avatar here and that's the other sort of part of this is that like yeah like tens and supports her in this but the fact that Cora even goes for a decision like this is kind of huge for her character and it's like she actually considered some of what her villain actually said to her but it's also like a factor of like she did learn some stuff from unlock even if some of it came from just him wanting to manipulate her. Like it's, it's very interesting that they show they flash back on the find the light in the dark, and it's actually Unalak who says the title of the episode back in episode two. Yeah, um, yeah. Really, sort of telling that that's that's how she wins by finding the light in the dark, and she also wins by using his technique to basically purify him. So yeah. a lot of really cool connections to like the start of the season as well. Yeah, so many chills. Like, anybody who claims that this season is not good is off their rocker. I'm, <laughs> it's so good. There's so much in, like, there's so many connections. There's just so many. And I want to just hone in on something that you said that I, just, I, I got chills, like, two or three times while you were talking. Because I, I think about today's world where, especially in the United States, the the politics are raunchy at best. Um, and what happens is we start to see people as the villain and anyone who has a different political view than the, than I do becomes a, becomes a villain. Right. And I feel like that's the rhetoric in terms of, you know, political rhetoric in general is very dehumanizing for the other party. And what Cora is showing us is that if we listen even to the people who we think of as as villains 
that there there is still something incredibly valuable that we can learn if we're willing to listen. If we're willing to listen, there's something there that we can use and make the world better and bring balance to the world. And I think when we discount the people that we're unwilling to listen to, we are shutting off an avenue of learning, an avenue, an avenue of growth. And I think we lose when we are so split. Yes, and because I think there's caveats sure. to that, right? So um, I think of uh, Eska and Desna making making the decision to come help, right? And yeah. was that because of acts of love shown by Bolin and acts of welcoming shown by Bolin? Maybe. Um, but Bolin is in a place of safety where he is, was able to make those like claims and, and, and be willing to open up to them. That's not something Korra was able to do when they were trying to murder her in the ocean, right? So, like, <laughs> no. So, recognizing that there is a privilege and the ability to reach out to those people and listen to those people and not feel like you're going to be, you're in a place of safety because of it. The other side of that, too, is having clear boundaries in those moments, right? Like, I'm willing to listen, but the moment you decide that you're going to end the world with a 10,000 year darkness, like, boundary. Well, and no, I, no, no more of that, right? And, like that's and, not on the table. Well, and again, I think Cora shows us this. Mm-hmm. Cora shows us what it's look like, what it looks like to hold people accountable, mm-hmm. and also to listen. Like Unalak's gone, right? Like, yeah, there were things that were purified. There were things that were God, but like he he was held accountable for his actions in that moment. Um, and so I think that that's that the answer is yes. How do we do that? But also recognizing that there are boundaries and levels of privilege that come into being able to do that and how does that shift whose responsibility it is to be the person that yeah that that is opened up to listening to those individuals if that makes sense mm. wow morgan i'm curious if you have a theory on this i'm i'm not sure i ha- i'm thinking about we just saw rava reborn right and we know that vatu is eventually going to be reborn <laughs> Um, I'm curious if you have any theories about how, how that might happen. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one because what we're told in beginnings is that, um, okay, the, their light and dark can never be fully destroyed. If one of Rava and Vatu destroys the other, they'll begin to grow within the other one and eventually will become a separate being once again. So the, the question is kind of like, how long does that take? So it kind of creates a sort of like kind of ticking time yeah. bomb style plot of like, that's going to be a very interesting dynamic for the avatar at the next harmonic convergence where they might have effectively like yeah. a fully formed Vatu and Rava, both kind of almost like within them fighting. Um, whereas in, in what we want and in this, they were separate beings, but now there's a sense of like them being sort of connected uh i suppose a lot of it really kind of depends on like you know how exactly does that work how does being inside a person this time out work because when one first encounters the two spirits they're locked together you know like rava's just trying to keep vatu from basically spreading his influence and vatu's just trying to escape so Mm -hmm. it's just that dynamic within a person so you know a lot of people want that almost kind of evil avatar and you sort of wonder might that have an effect on the current avatar but it's it's an interesting one because obviously the rava is the one permanently like bonded to one spirit vatu isn't so you know 
interesting things. I'm not sure when they'll get yeah. around to doing that plot point, but it's one they can go to if they need something big, definitely. Yeah, for sure. I'm so here for a Jekyll and Hyde avatar. <laughs> yeah, it could be it could be super interesting. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm down. Um okay. other moments to lift up, other things that we want to touch on from this episode. Um I suppose just the idea that um you know the the avatar's gone at the start, it's restored mostly at the end but they commit to the past lives are gone and this to this day remains one of the most sort of controversial decisions within the entire kind of uh, fa- fandom yeah, it does. um it's always a decision i've kind of really kind of respected and, and enjoyed sure I'd, I'd like core to be able to talk to the past lives but i also like what it does for the rest of the books in that it really places like Cora's on her own making these decisions. She can't get yeah. those benefits. And it's why I've always liked what they did at the end of book one. A lot of people criticize her for like, oh, they just gave Cora her bending back. But that's one of the benefits you get by being the Avatar. They can fix things for you. Here we see her do it completely on yeah. her own. And like they reverse that dynamic. And people complain that there were no consequences from book one. They gave them here and people complain. So it's like, what did you want? only minor consequences have it both ways yeah yeah Mm. wow yeah i i think this is just a it's the amount of chills i got while watching this episode and even in this conversation just thinking about the amount of character and the amount of pain and the amount of things that everybody's going through is just there's something really special going on and the music mm. god the music in this episode was, every time yeah. yeah god so yeah janora's light is definitely one of my favorite cora pieces yeah mm-hmm. yeah can we talk about let's that actually brings up an important question for me is janora um I, i'm 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 curious everybody like i, I was reading yesterday not intentionally, just came up on my feed about, like, how did Janora get so strong? And I, I'm curious what your take is on this, Morgan, because, like, Janora is able, she has a lot of discernment in the spirit world, right? Mm. She's like, I, one, I can go in. Two, I know, like, where we should go and how we should do this. And then she kind of intuitively knows, like, hey, I'm going to be important and I need to stay so that I can help Cora. And then she does. And I'm, I'm curious... Why do we think that is? What what led Janora to? What was the discernment process for her? And I, I, like anybody can answer that. I just I'm I'm curious what what thoughts are. We're seeing just the positive outcomes when you allow for middle schoolers to read books without banning them. <laughs> yeah, maybe we should let that happen. <laughs> <laughs> She's a big. Yeah, well, well, there is that factor. She yeah. she read the oh, books in the library so. as well. She knows spirit stuff as well. I think, I mean, I think there is a lot to like, there's a lot to the wisdom from learning from others. And Janora, we see time and time again, Janora putting in that effort to learn from others, um, which allows her to have the agency to step up in moments. Uh, she's got the knowledge base there and she's given permission to take the agency and, and, and be trusted with that. And I think that that's, it says a lot. There's a, there's another moment too with Tenzin when he, get, he you know, it's not like Tenzin had the ability to take away the permission from Cora to make decisions. But we do see the benefit when someone in your circle who, who you trust as a mentor says, Hey, 
you have permission to go forward and and make this decision. And we see it with Janora when Janora's kind of like, trust me, I can go into the spirit world. Um, and so I think there's a lot to be said for for people kind of saying, hey, you have permission to, to, to do this on your own. Um, and you can do it, and I believe in you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like a literal permission, because, again, it's not like I can take that away from you. But it's said, there is something to just be said about, like, hey, I'm here for you. I'm in your circle, and I believe that you can do this. Mm. Yeah. And I think that happens with Janora, and it happens with Korra. Mm. And the the way I've always Beautiful. viewed Janora as well is that, like, she is, I suppose, arguably, like, the most spiritual character to a degree in terms of, like, she just has this sort of raw connection to the spirit world that sure it seems like she sort of like just gets a lot the second she's in there but it's like she's discovered like i can do i can do a lot in here and she sort of finds this other aspect of herself that's what's i think so impressive about this book is that again relatively early on they set this up of like she's drawn to the statue of juan even though you don't know it's juan at the time and uh, her kind of spiritual awakening that's they kind of reveal later it's been happening in the background, but she only reveals it to everyone basically mm. in like the guide. Um, and here is just this kind of moment in the middle of all this happening. She's obviously been in here for a while. I think that there's also a factor in the fact that like her body's dying in the physical world. Like it's just barely being kept alive by, um, you know, Katara. Yeah. Um, so she's getting closer and closer in a way to almost like becoming a spirit herself. Uh, because if her body dies, her spirit still stays in there and it becomes a sort of Iroh situation and um, because the, your spirit is immortal. Um, so I think that's part of why like Iki, when Janora does arrive on the scene, says she's beautiful and that Iki views like Janora as looking different when she arrives. Obviously, she's glowing and the idea is sort of... Yeah. They sort of play with this in the, the recap episode where they jokingly say like, oh, it's like a spirit fairy. That's kind of what Janora is kind of meant to be in this moment um, as she just kind of like mm. slightly puts the balance of light and dark back a little bit more towards light like so just enough so that like Rava is like visible again um, so it's it's a, it's a cool scene uh, I think I, I know some people complain like well, they don't explain it um, but I also feel some people act like you know the book didn't give you like any foundation to understand any of what's happening like at all even though it yeah. did and it actually recaps a lot of the sort of stuff with rava and vatu it, as core is meditating they give you those scenes Absolutely. again um so it's 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 pretty cool um i think the 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 little point that a lot of people forget is that the scene at the end of last episode after darkness falls basically <laughs> rava's destroyed the, the light spirits around Janora are the only light spirits you see until basically the, the conflict comes to an end. She gives one of them to Tenzin to let him get mm. out. So there's one left with her. And effectively, it's the light of that sort of last light spirit that she uses to, you know, switch the balance when she arrives uh, on the battlefield. That's at least my interpretation of it because um, in beginnings earlier on, they say... Um, the more spirits he turns, the stronger he becomes. Juan says he's getting bigger, you're getting smaller. So they connect the size of Rava and Vatu to sort of the amount of the other spirit population that's light and dark. So, yeah, you know, the the kind of technical aspect, the lore expert coming out here, like, it works. Even though, I suppose, even the creators, to a degree, might even yeah. say that, like, 
we didn't know what was going on. But they gave you enough to like, yeah, it works. They didn't just completely make up something that is silly. It actually does work. No, I love all of that. I think that's a very generous reading that you're giving it. And I think it makes sense. And I'm, I'm on board. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Wow. Oh, okay. I have, a, I have another one. Can I lift up one? Um, yes. So I, I want to talk about Rava's discernment to merge back with Korra because there wasn't, there's an option here not to. And, you know, Rava made the decision a long time ago to have Juan help because Rava was unable to take down Vatu after he had been broken free. Mm-hmm. And it got to the point where Rava was like, no, this, this is the best decision. And so now Rava, of course, has, you know, 10,000 years experience of working with the Avatar and decides to keep it that way and continue to be merged with Korra. Um, the harmonic convergence is about to end. Rava easily could have said, well, we're separate now, but did not. And I, I wonder about that. I'm, I'm curious because I, I think that there's a lot of interesting like ethical questions there around you know rava deciding is that did she do it because like oh this is how it's always been and she just forgot what it was like before or was it more of a and i say she it's they they is probably a better pronoun but anyway i'm, I'm curious about this moment in this this decision making process yeah i wonder if it has anything to do with rava now has the experience of being with hundreds of avatars at this point um and is has experienced it's been a benefit more than it's been a negative and so maybe that plays into it is my thought process yeah mm. morgan what about you yeah it's, it's one of those interesting ones where like with beginnings i always find it interesting that it's actually um rava learns more from Juan than Juan does from rava in terms of sort of like the the idea of balance comes more from Juan actually than rava rava's kind of not anti-human, but she has that sort of general spirit approach of like kind of looking down on humans and she learns from Juan to actually respect yeah. humans. And so I think that's a kind of like a key part of it is that like Rava learned from Juan on this journey, having had like no faith in him initially because of I suppose what happened at the start. And like was mentioned there, she's had all these different people that are, you know, different kind of iterations of the same spirit um, and has watched the avatar sort of help guide the world the world towards balance and how i guess what she's experienced in those years is sort of better than what she experienced before separate um and i like how much of a sort of yeah. it's not even the discussion here they don't need to have a discussion of like should we do this should we not rava just comes straight up and like hurry up we got to do this and uh, i also like how it was yeah. desperate the first time it was almost like I'll just touch this and see what happens. And it worked out. And here they just like, it's kind of like this beautiful thing that like Korra rides up to the top of it on Rava and they like barely any yeah. words exchanged between them and they're back together. And I, I do wish Korra talked to Rava a bit more as we go forward, but they can always do that in like future comics if they, they need to. Uh, I do wish they'd use sort of the fact that they have a character here yeah. in Rava um, more even though she's lost the past lives because that's like a like 
hundred thousand year old spirit or whoever who, a, who knows how it's long. It's an interesting question. Yeah, I'm I'm really curious about just the discernment of, because uh, you know Tenzin has just imparted this wisdom of it's you that makes you special, not Rava, <laughs> right? And that doesn't mean that now that you're merged with Rava to ignore <laughs> Rava. It means okay, now you have this extra being within you that you might be able to connect with and be in community with so that you can learn and grow from one another and i'm i I agree with you i think that that's a missed opportunity potentially and i wonder what that it it, well i guess if we're treating the show as we should with you know this intention of this that was an intentional move right then i wonder why that is i wonder if cora just forgets i wonder if i don't think she forgets it doesn't seem generous um I wonder why. That's a great question. Why doesn't she uh, talk to Rava more? Hmm. That's yeah, question. the only thing I'd answer that is just... I mean, there was a studio or team that... Go, go ahead, Morgan. Oh, it's just uh, the kind of thing with spirits is that um, they sort of create the idea that, like, humans are the ones capable of sort of, like, um, creating and changing greatly, whereas spirits are more sort of stagnant. So Rava might sort of acknowledge even within herself that because she's a spirit of light and peace that because of sort of the nature of who she is as a spirit and the, what she's the spirit of, she doesn't maybe want to like overly influence the avatar and force them to kind of become a human of spirit and peace, which is the point Mm. that I think a lot of people bring up when they talk about like, was there ever like a dark avatar of like one who did things in a different way? I think we kind of get that through Kiyoshi and the way she tackles doing things and, like borderline almost as an assassin at some points um uh and rava doesn't like step in to stop the being that she's a part of so i think there's a part of that like she just doesn't try to good point overly influence the human part of the avatar yeah that contrast to vatu who all the influence to the point where he like basically the opposite he basically (laughs) completely overtook unalak to the point where I've always interpreted it as like the sec the second Unavatu forms, Unalak is basically gone. Oh yeah, yeah, very much so. Yep. And so Korra defeating yeah. Unavatu, the personhood there is is absent. I really like what, how you're lifting that up. I think that's really important and integral to to my question of why there's no necessarily like conversation with Rava. I think that. You're you're showing us what that looks like, and we've we already have the evidence. So, I, I, yeah. When I'm, it kind of goes back to what we yeah. said earlier this season about absolutism and like the absolutes, like if we are working in community and making decisions together, versus someone coming in and saying this is the way and we're going to do it this way mm-hmm. and this is the only way. Vatu taking over is this is my way, right? This is the way versus this this ability to cooperate with each other that we see between Rava and and Korra. Um, and so I wonder if that's just another thing, another sign or signal or red flag for us in life is again, when these things come through that are absolutes, mm. it has to be this way. This is the only way that it should give us pause. Yeah. Check that out. Check that out. Make sure, <laughs> make sure to question that. Oh, uh, what a rich episode. I'm uh, Morgan. Do you have any other ones? I have a bunch of small moments, but I'm, I'm curious if you have any other big, or, big or small moments that you want to lift up. In particular. Um, this is kind of a, a weird one. I, I know in the, the last episode with, with Antoine, you discussed the idea of like uh, Cor getting almost blamed for the loss of the past lives and 
you know, it's actually Unalak's fault, but people yeah. blame Korra. Um, I often like to consider, like, also sort of Raiko's involvement in this because he doesn't listen to Korra early on in the book, episode five, I think it is. She then comes back to him sure after does. her uh, growth, most a lot of her growth uh, earlier on, in, I think, episode 11, and explains the situation of, like, the end of the world is coming. We could use, basically, the United Forces' help in stopping this up at the north. And he says, like, nope, I want to defend uh, the city. And it's just this sense of, like, you don't know what you're talking about. This is not going to work out well for you. And yeah. effectively, the United Forces are helpless against what does come. And you sort of ask the question, if he had sent the army up with Korra and everyone, they probably wouldn't have been captured. They would have, the harmonic convergence wouldn't have progressed as much and all the other stuff wouldn't have happened. So... Uh, I'm always a little bit critical of uh, Raiko um, with just uh, kind of everything he does. I think Turf War has very much uh, proved me right in a lot of my like criti- criticism I, of the character. He is just a, that's exactly he's what a bad I was going to say. What's it, again, it shows that we can take the a proper amount of time or a reasonable amount of time to deal with something on the front end, or you're going to have to spend an unreasonable amount of time dealing with something on the back end, right? So, And it might not be time. It might not it be time. Might it might be, be an unreasonable amount of resources, or an unreasonable effort, amount of yep. death, yep. of destruction, right? Like A reasonable um, effort on the front can reduce a lot of bad things on the back. Yep. So important. Yeah. Mm, super important. There are also uh, the moment in this, and and I just there there are there are moments of can we talk about like the nurturing the good in people, yeah. <laughs> the ability to see like there is light inside, and so we're gonna pull that out of individuals and focus on pulling that out, yes. and how that positively affects the world around it's us. It's so good, do it. <laughs> Love that moment. That moment almost brings me to tears, and it definitely has to do with the soundtrack, mm. or the the score happening at that time as well. <laughs> yeah, but it's. Uh, that moment's beautiful. Yeah. Wow. All right. Anything else that we want to lift up before we jump into our break? Um, only thing I would lift up. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, yeah. The only thing I would lift up is uh, Bolin at the end. This moment that could have been really touching between brothers. And, you know, Mako and Korra have finally the discernment to realize that they are not good partners. Um, Mako needs to do some work on him. Mako's yeah. got to do some Mako work Mako before he's ready has, for a relationship. Yeah, Mako's still got to do personal work. Cora <laughs> has done a lot of personal work and is now recognizing this isn't working, right? <laughs> and she's, I, I love that moment of discernment. I think that's beautiful. I just want to honor that. But also, I love this moment where Bolin is, you know, he uses humor to deflect from hard things. And the way that he comes in and approaches Mako for a hug like knowing one that mako really could probably use a hug in this moment because that was hard but also like i recognize the struggle and the vulnerability of asking your older brother for a hug when earlier in the season you were you know you were in jail for a reason (laughs) and things along those lines and so the fact that bolin moves in even with that kind of look on his face is I think a really beautiful moment where he used his judgment and put family over his discomfort. And I just want to honor that as a, as a moment of discernment. I think it's, I think it's really beautiful. Love that. Morgan, you're about to lift something up as well. 
Um, it, it was basically going to be just kind of bring up that I suppose one of the few moments we haven't talked about is, I guess, the kind of more romance-focused uh, bits that they do. I suppose a very brief bit with Eska and Bolin and then the, I suppose, bigger romance with uh, Mako and Korra. Um, th- this has always been the, the part of the book that I find to be like the weakest part of book two is the kind of how they do the Mako and uh, Korra arc just from a writing perspective that Cora says something along the lines of like I think we both know this isn't going to work and I, I always kind of read that scene as like really that's the takeaway here I feel like where did that necessarily come from just because I felt like a lot of the arc of those two was they actually communicate relatively well at the start even though they have minor arguments they've been together for like six months they have a big argument in the middle of like the world beginning to come to an end, like Korra having to like put herself out there for her tribe, uh, Mako and his job. They then go off, have their own arcs and come back together. And it's like, okay, we're, we're both more well-developed now. We'll just accept that this is how things go. It's never fully connected for me, the whole idea of like, they do both come to the realization that it's not going to work. I think that could have been like communicated a bit better with different scenes um which i think is kind of why they add in a lot of the more drama-y plot points of like mako randomly gets back together with asami and then they sort of break up off screen i guess they never really resolve that um and they have the whole memory loss plot that plays into this a little bit otherwise it's like i think you can borderline read this scene and be like this is the get back together if they if you remove some of that drama it feels like you could also go the same way as they get back together realize that they miscommunicated mm-hmm. earlier on and they can actually go that way i don't ship too much i tend to be like pretty okay with what they present to us um so i, I never minded cora and mako's relationship and i've never particularly i don't ultimately mind where they go with it going forward in terms of the specific ships i'd be more critical of just the arc they sort of send mako on after this which is that it's a mutual breakup that they have here Korra goes on fine and then it just kind of creates the awkward mako arc that kind of comes and goes over the course of the next few books and even in turf wars as well uh, it just feels like mako can't escape yeah. this romance drama stuff most telling his recap section of remembrances is all about the romance. Nothing else about him matters, apparently. Mm. And I think it's just the writers here focusing a bit too much in on that when I actually think there's a lot to the character that's quite interesting because his his arc this season of sort of actually being proven right despite the kind of crazy pressure he was under to, um, you know, know, the rookie can't be right type thing with Lin. Um, I actually like that arc and the little dynamic with himself and Bo Lin. I thought was also well done. So they did good Mako stuff here. It's just, this to me doesn't quite work as, you know, it's in a vacuum, it's a good scene, but as the ending of this romance arc, I think it's a little forced. But I think the romance is better in the second half of the series. And it's ultimately a good choice, I guess. Lots of important stuff you're lifting up. I'm, I'm, I think that you're helping us see Mako differently you know because it's it's very easy 
<laughs> with some of the things to that happen Mako, to yeah, pick absolutely. on Mako. And uh, I think that you're helping us see that a little bit differently. And I, I really appreciate race. it. Yeah. Well, that's been, we've covered a, a big chunk of this episode. We are going to take a quick musical break and then we are going to come back with our other segments, including devotions and gratitude. And so we will be right back. excited for this next segment and y'all have been waiting for our finale segment title for this episode i know that y'all are really excited about it so without further ado it is my pleasure to announce that this segment is called our Pooh bears and our eeyores today Pooh bears and eeyores very exciting i would like to just acknowledge that eeyore is not a bad character and nor should we view eeyore as bad but po- here, but, here. He, but Eeyore is sad a lot, and so I think that this is a yeah. I think you can just say things that make us sad about yeah. the episode. It's not negative or positive. It's just what would make you react like Eeyore? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Versus react like Pooh. Oh, that was not that wasn't Pooh Bear. That was but... like a weird <laughs> Mickey, <laughs> like uh. Pillsbury Doughboy, like mixture. Oh. <laughs> Oh, I don't have a poo voice. I don't. I don't think I have that voice. That's okay. I'm just not gonna it's do it. It's more lower if I'm not like. Yeah. I don't. I that can't that, do that it. wasn't far off, but it was far off. I've got a rumbly <laughs> in my tumbly. That was good. I like that. Yeah, yeah, that was good. Well done. Uh, okay, we digress. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, you can share with either your Pooh Bear or your Eeyore. Uh, who would like to go first? Anybody? Anybody? Patrons, if you pay enough, you can hear Ben do an entire episode. <laughs> As Winnie the Pooh, <laughs> you would have to pay. I don't know. I don't. Maybe like a whole dollar. Make a bid. I, I'm make willing bid. to make him do it for a dollar. Yeah, let's yeah. not do it for a dollar. Okay, Morgan, do you have a Pooh Bear or an Eeyore that you'd like to share with us today? Uh, yeah, I suppose my my high moment or Pooh Bear um, is, I think it has to be the the Tenzin advice to Cora to kind of get her going again. Um, it's just like. Mm. It's Tenzin's arc leading into Korra's arc, and that's the, the strongest part of the episode for me. I just the the whole dialogue back and forth between the two of them is great. I think I, I read out one or two of the quotes earlier on, but uh, another part of it is uh, let go of your attachment to who you think you are and connect with your inner spirit. I'm not I'm not talking about Rava. Rava is not who you are. Mm. Just that that point of Korra is Korra to like that that sense of. She almost forgets yes. she has her own spirit as well, um, and 
him reminding her of that fact that Cora is the character who is strong, unyielding, fearless, and um, not Rava. So that's the the main big takeaway for me is just mm. pure Cora character arc. I think that's gorgeous. I love it. I love it. What about you, Chen Chang? Um, I think for me, uh, there's a, a moment that I don't know if we really hit on, but I, that I find incredibly powerful is uh, everyone protecting Korra's physical body when she's yeah. in the spirit. All and four elements. Everyone's there. Everyone's doing a part. And I think for me, it just that is such a beautiful moment when we see people advocating for one another and in in doing what we can to support others. And that so is just chills. a moment is very cool. Um, and so. Uh, it might not be my favorite moment of the episode, but it's definitely one we didn't hit that I that, that you is, wanted to hit. That I wanted to hit, and yeah. it, it makes me that is a really cool moment. And even when Eska and Desna show up, yeah, um, like that even plays into that, and I really like I really like that aspect of this episode. Yeah, again, just showing the importance of community, mm-hmm. right? Mm. Okay, my my Pooh Bear for the episode is with Kaya. Kaya has two really just important moments for me right at the beginning where uh, Tenzin, Kaya, and they, they find Mako, Bolin, and Korra, realize that they are on the verge and they need spiritual healing immediately. And she's like, I'm going to use my discernment and I'm going to put them and we're going to need some spiritual water and we're close and I'm going to heal them as fast as I can. When they come to and Korra explains how devastated she is because of the situation, Kaya doesn't try to comfort Korra. Kaya knows that Tenzin has a better relationship and she's like, hey, Tenzin, she's going to need you right now. Mm-hmm. And she, the way that you show up is really important. And that was just implied in the way that she said it. And it was just, I think the way that she did that was so beautiful. And so I am, that that was a moment for me. So definitely going to lift that up. Oh, Pooh Bear, man. That makes me just feel all all lovey-dovey. I love Pooh Bear. Just had a warm pot of honey. Yeah. And because I love Avatar so much, I also love Eeyore. Does that make sense? Because I like the bad moments too, right? Okay. Anyway, uh, Morgan, (laughs) what's about your Eeyore? I think you Uh, lost the thread a little bit. (laughs) It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah, I I mentioned, I suppose, just before the break, but it's... uh... It's not really the whole like Koromako sec- second breakup scene, but more sort of where this ends up sort of putting Mako as a character within the series. They still do good moments with him afterwards in terms of like he's always kept super strong in, in his fights and he's always considered one of the strongest benders. But I think some of his character arcs could have been a little bit better done and some of the awkwardness maybe taken out that, um, you know... <laughs> Asami and uh, Korra get to ride around in the car laughing sort of at him next season a little bit while he's just really awkward and I think they could have been a bit more sort of balanced with it considering how long it kind of ends up going on um, but it's a pretty minor I think complaint overall in the episode that in this packed the longest season of Korra the romance plot being a little bit too drama focused is my main complaint not too bad Chun Chai? Eeyore? I think for me, I um, I really wanted Mako to kind of lean into the hug a little bit more. Bolin's hug at the uh, end, mm-hmm. and uh, because I think we we don't get a lot of great moments of male on male 
intimacy intimacy yeah. uh whether it's familial or platonic but i like i so wanted mako to lean into that uh kind of embrace as opposed to being the stoic like all right, all right i'll kind of i'll kind of take this yeah uh, i was kind of aching for a, a moment of yeah of male-to-male intimacy there yeah um that i think would have been really powerful had that happened yeah. Uh, so that's like it wasn't a terrible moment. It's just one of those ones where I was like, ah, I kind of wanted that to go just a just a step further. You make me want that now. I want it. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? Yeah, for me, I I kind of I think I'm channeling you a little bit actually, and like the the fight scene of like the the beams and beam fighting, beam fighting. Aren't they the best? Uh, it's it's. It, I think this is climactic because of oh, the oh, yeah. <laughs> beam fighting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think that the fighting was underwhelming. And that, that is my, it's like, my a little, it's, like it's very and, WWE, right? Like the, well, it's it, in a like way, body right? Because it was and... like body slam. And then I'm like in total full control. And then all of a sudden I'm underwater. Right. So Cora, like, overwhelms Unavatu, throws him into a mountain, and then uh, tries to find Rava, and Vatu's like, wah, ah, ah, ah. And then now Korra's underwater. And so it's like one of those things where like it was just really like, it leans to itself to extremes, and I just, I wanted more nuance, and I think that's that's my icky Eeyore. Mm-hmm. I like Eeyore. This is a bad choice. But I also like Pooh Bear and Eeyore, so I'm glad we talked about it. I do love the moment where it's like, oh, a shooting star. Wait, what is that? What's coming at me? Oh, that's a big beam of light. And then, like, Cora just absolutely <laughs> smacks. Yeah. The... Vatu, like, into the water. I do like that moment. Yeah, like, I, I suppose... Like, oh, look, fireworks. I, I kind of wanted to talk, I suppose, about Giant Cora a little bit. I, didn't, I, I never brought it up, but um, I've always yeah, liked please, that, please. you know, in a way, Cora, in a way, the, there's almost the implication. She can kind of do whatever she wants with that cosmic energy. Like, that, that seems to kind of be the implication of, like... You're in the most powerful object in the the known universe. Um, you you are still sort of unique as a being because you kind of used to be the avatar. You still have four elements and all that sort of stuff. She can do a lot with that energy, and she chooses to make just like a giant version of herself that mainly fights hand to hand. That feels very Korra to me, like on brand for Korra. Oh, just the I love that. the fact that Korra they took the approach of doing a little bit more sort of um, MMA um going into here so the sort of knee strike thing that she does in this um i like that um get that muay thai clinch yeah uh the john cena attitude adjustment into the uh the mountain i i think that yeah. <laughs> that works for for cora to a degree I, I i get why like it's it's a little different than everything else but i also um always i like uh, the book one finale i'm like hey koizilla over there you're a giant thing your core is also a giant thing. We're 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 cool <laughs> over here. We can have some some big giant spirit yeah. monsters in in Avatar every so often, when the stakes are like super high, yeah. uh, firing spirit beams, which becomes a plot point in book four, kind of pretty major plot point actually. Indeed. Um, and then I suppose with Vasu, it's right. also like he's like a, he's basically like a giant kite. Otherwise, like w- what attack is he meant to have? <laughs> <laughs> Fair. Uh, okay. Well, we have su- uh, excuse me. We have successfully made it through our our P- Pooh Bears and and Eeyores. 
and we're going to transition into our devotion for the Mm -hmm. day. And for everybody who's, you know, new to the podcast, just in case, we are, of course, talking about uh, the moment where we talk about bring in our lens for the day, which is discernment, and we bring it in with one of the elements, and we cycle through these elements just as the Avatar does through each episode. And this episode, we're focusing in on Earth. And so what we're doing is we are uh, envisioning ourselves setting a goal, and we are setting a goal with Earth, the element of Earth, and discernment in mind. And so, Sunshine, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you to yeah. go first. Can you just tell us like what is your intention or goal for the next week yeah. uh, re- regarding these things. We've talked on it a lot this episode, but I, it, it felt too powerful to not have it as my intention. And that's this, this importance of community and, and mm. doing, and doing what we do to, to better ourselves and to better the world around us, how important community is on that. And it really is that foundational piece, the support structures that we need mm. uh, is that community. We see it in the way that they protect Korra. We see it in the learnings that Jinora and Tenzin and Kaya and all these other people bring to the table to support Korra. And so for me, I need to focus on what I'm doing for my foundations when it comes to community. Yeah. How am I investing in community? Um, and so whether that is my familial system or my close friendship circle, how am I investing into those individuals to show that I'm there and supportive of them? How am I doing that inside of my local community of my township, right? And so what am I doing? And so taking a week to really focus on creating a list of things to do that are intentionally about impacting my community yeah, um, is something that I'd like to focus on this week. That's really beautiful. Yeah. What about you? I, I'd like for you to, to do that. You should do that. <laughs> <laughs> that's the goal. <laughs> that's, the, that's the point. Uh, for yeah. me, uh, earth and discernment. I, you know, the imagery that came to my mind was building a brick wall or building a rock wall. And how with every rock, especially when you're dealing with irregular sizes, you need to be able to use your judgment as to when and how to use, like, do I use the big rocks on the bottom to set that foundation? Do I, oh, but I need a little rock here to offset it so that it's, you know, even, so that it's level. And so it's that, it's reminding me of this constant discernment process where it's not just a one-time decision, right? It is a series of decisions over the course of my lifetime. And so as I think about that, I'm thinking about what are the decisions I have to make this week? What are the the big decisions that I have to make this week in terms of like setting my schedule, um, setting my uh, to-do lists for school and for life? And how do I make sure that I really am intentional when I set my weekly trajectory so that I can make sure that I'm making that decision ahead of time rather than letting my passive self when I am at my most tired make that decision for me and so what I want to do at the beginning of this week uh like on Sunday when it gets to Sunday is to get to that point well it's Tuesday now but so like you're hearing this on Tuesday it's not Tuesday when we're recording anyway that's beside the point (laughs) Uh, what I want to do is I want to set my weekly to-do list and I also want to make sure that when I set that I'm thinking about the things that are going to help me um, be successful. So I want to make sure that I'm setting aside, you know, time for rest and play. I also want to make sure I'm setting aside time for all the important things. So I want to be intentional with that time so that I'm being using my discernment. 
Fantastic. That was long. I apologize. <laughs> I got to my point eventually. <laughs> Morgan, what about you? Um, okay, uh, my one. Um, uh, it's mainly to do with just like um, kind of kind of interacting with people sort of day to day, but also sort of like online discussing Avatar as well. Uh, having those sort of discussions, they could turn into arguments type thing and kind of being discerning with regards to that and, and kind of utilizing like one of the big scenes we discussed today a, a bit of like, you know, Korra being able to like hear what Unalak was saying, even though he was her enemy for the majority of this book, she could still take something kind of out of that. And I suppose connecting that a little bit to the the neutral Jing kind of uh, kind of philosophy of uh, earthbending that like you mm. uh, wait, listen, you sort of take stuff in and then you strike in combat or act and just kind of taking that approach of just kind of you know, listening to what people say, taking in what you can <clears throat> and then like using it to your best judgment. Um, that's kind of the approach I, I try to take when I when I have like discussions about things of like just trying to be like reasonable with it and not like over the top or anything like that and that kind of feels very earthbendery and also related to this episode i love it yeah i love that i think that's great i think we could all use a little bit of that absolutely yeah as we all endeavor to you know bring balance to our lives right all these elements super cool you know what else helps helps with that gratitude (laughs) gratitude gratitude okay gratitude that means we're almost done oh with this season. Yeah, with the whole season. I was talking about the episode. Oh, yeah. wow. With the whole season. Dang. We made a lot of progress. Wow. I can't believe it. Learned a lot. Time flies. Yeah. About to write hags in the season two yearbook. Yeah. Nooks and crannies. No. <laughs> Get to gratitude. Not grateful for that comment. Who are you grateful for, Sunshine? <laughs> I'm grateful for uh, Tenzin. I'm grateful for Tenzin. I'm grateful for the way that he shares learning. Uh I, I'm grateful for the way that he shows up for Cora in this episode. Um, I'm really, I just, I, I'm very much appreciative of his character development for this season. Um, even from the very beginning, right? I, I still envision Tenzin getting super angry about people listening to pro bending matches on the radio. <laughs> right? right. And so like <laughs> seeing from there to here, the amount of development that has taken place and the amount of learning, because I think it, it really challenges this aspect of like people being a product of their time or old dogs can't learn new tricks type thing. Yes, you can. Um, I, you can, right. You can. And so I, I'm, I think even on that aspect, the ability to say you can never stop learning and growing and bettering yourself, especially when it comes to supporting others. Really beautiful. And I yeah. love that uh, in Tenzin. So Tenzin is my, my gratitude. Oh, I'm grateful for that too. Wow. All right, Morgan, what about you? Uh, I suppose I'm grateful for Korra. It kind of has to be Korra with, with this episode because um, I think this is like Korra's best growth in the series. Like, uh, Not to take any anything away from like her book mm-hmm. four arc, her, her recovery, which is also great. But um, this, I think, is just very foundational, I suppose, to her character. This is where like I think her key growth in the series happens. And it a lot of it does come down to this episode and just that like that advice Tenzin gives to her and how she's able to come back from such a, a big moment. And as you know, Cora is sort of the, the star of this show. Um, uh, kind of, I, I think like Ang obviously get, gets his, his time to shine in ATLA, but the other characters are like almost just as important. I think Cora really does get to be the star of her own show in this, this episode, especially. And it's, 
they they get it right like yeah. start to finish I think and uh, it, this is what makes her one of my favorite characters definitely so definitely Cora. I'm grateful for Cora too. This is so good. Men, oh. you're up. Oh, I'm oh okay. I'm grateful for everybody, but that's cheating. So I'm gonna pick one. I'm I'm I said it already. My favorite one of my favorite moments from the episode is is, is this moment with Kaya. So I'm mm-hmm. I'm choosing Kaya because. I, I, I think about her arc as well, and yes, she is a supporting side character, but the amount of depth and breadth we get from her and mm-hmm. wisdom we get from her is really stunning. And so I, I think that if we're paying attention, we can we can learn a lot from Kaya. So I'm, I'm grateful for Kaya also. Wow. That yeah. brings us to the end. That's it. Yeah, but next week... Next week, we are, and probably for maybe a couple weeks, we are going to be not putting out uh, full-length episodes, just warning you all who are listening. Um, We're going to take time for rest. Yeah, that's right. Indeed. Focusing on life and things. But there will be a season six of Bending Not Breaking. Yeah, with book three of The Legend of Korra. And we are very excited. Uh, But... Before we sign off, we need to make sure that we hear how people can get in contact with you, Morgan, if they want to. So we can plug Airspeed Prime. We can plug you. How do you want people to, to find you and reach you if they want to? Um, it's basically Airspeed Prime on what YouTube, Twitter, uh, Instagram, Tumblr. I, I, I think I still use Tumblr. Uh, I think they're the, the, the main ones, but like like mainly, <laughs> mainly YouTube, uh, I suppose. Uh, that's where I put up basically all of my content and the podcast um but yeah airspeed prime that, that's it i love it and definitely if you're listening and you're eager for information and news and breakdowns on things like that i highly recommend following him on twitter uh so much good content and definitely on youtube as well if youtube is your thing highly recommend checking that out if you're looking for where to find bending not breaking bnb underscore pod on all of the platforms that's bnb underscore pod on all of the platforms and if you would love to support us on patreon that would be a huge help that Super allows dope. us to continue doing this works and thank you to all our patrons who already uh subscribe to that uh grateful incredibly grateful for for all of that community but that's it season five of bending not breaking in the books thank y'all so much for joining us i'm sunshine mayfield and i'm ben and this has been bending not breaking thank you for listening